Hello, everybody. Raise your hand if you are ready to talk about the one, the only, the A word. But as per usual, it may not be the A word you think. Welcome to Cancel Me Baby. I am your host, as usual, yet again, Taylor Ferber. And you know what? I just may be the only psycho on the internet who is willing to get down and dirty, double the R and talk about the issues that are really like they ruffle the feathers they ruffle the feathers but we're getting in there because you know what i i don't know if it's because i'm crazy or that i just live on the edge and you know what i think all of you do too because you're tuning in every week and you're along for the ride so before we get into the a word i do want to tell you guys you know i just feel like that there is so much god there's so much going on right now it's so heavy it's so grim it's so dark And there's just so much hate going on. And I really wanted to open the show by telling you guys, you are doing great. Not to be Miss Frizzle, but you're doing great. Like girls, you look really pretty today. And guys, you look really handsome. Like I may or may not bone. I feel like we could all just use like a little pep, you know, because there is just like so much divisiveness. Everyone's just angry. And I just wanted to tell you, not only are you crushing it, you're looking hot, you're looking sexy. And you know what? Go give yourself some love. Give yourself a hug. Whatever it is you got to do, go and do it. Okay. All right. So the A word. Appropriation appropriation. Yeah. Remember before when I said I was like crazy for getting into these issues? Well, here we go doing a back handspring into this one today. So appropriation is obviously an ongoing issue, but there have been a few things in pop culture that have intrigued my interest about this in the last couple, like even in the last week, the last few months. So without further ado, like let's get it cracking. All right. First is Gwen Stefani, your local Hollaback girl. Now, Gwen Stefani has been accused of appropriation through the years, right? Many of time, most famously for hanging out with a group. Uh, by the way, if I butcher words during this episode, okay, I am trying. I'm trying my best, okay? Uh, Karajuku girls, Karajuku girls, right? Which is like the Japanese, like she had four Japanese girls, like her ride or dies during the love angel music baby era, right? One of the reasons she was accused for appropriation. So last week in paper magazine, she was asked about it. And here's what she said. She said, if we didn't buy and sell and trade our cultures in, we wouldn't have so much beauty. We learn from each other. We share from each other. We grow from each other. Oh, philosophical Gwen. And all these rules are just dividing us more and more. Amen. Sister, we grew up in a time where we didn't have so many rules. We didn't follow a narrative that was being edited for us through social media. We had so much more freedom. So she is not backing down. Okay. And the key word here for me is freedom. Now, let me be upfront about this. Okay. Before, (laughs) before anyone on the woke side has a, a panic attack, I am not just making excuses for the white girl. Cause I'm a white girl and just like defending any white person in this episode for the sake of it. Okay. So like, hear me out. I just want to get that cleared up. Okay. Cleared up right away. So here is the thing, okay? Here's where I feel like the divide comes in because she has a point, right? The freedom, the freedom. And by the way, 
I didn't even read what Twitter had to say about this because like, I don't even have the energy for those people. Like they're so unhinged. So here's where the divide comes in, right? Because I feel like you have the people on one side, which is how I feel, which is like, right, freedom, freedom to play with each other's cultures and share that and like all the goodness in that and like create and be inspired, right? But then you have the other side saying, you know, you're just using it to your advantage for profit, like using these Asian Japanese girls as like your little props as the white girl, right? That's where I feel like there is this divide. And I feel like it's also worth noting that Gwen Stefani, she has like a hardcore love and adoration for Japanese culture. And she's talked about it before, but I guess her dad, when she was young, would always travel there and he would bring her back like toys. And so she was, she talks about how she was always obsessed with it. And then when she went on tour for no doubt, she finally got to go there as some of her Karajuku girls got to go for the first time. So this is nothing new. Like, I think she even came out with like a kid's animation series that was inspired by Japanese culture. That's she executive produced, I think like a clothing line. Right. So she is like in it for it all about it. This isn't just like her, like the flavor of the week, like trying to be spicy, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Right. So she talks about how she had a deep appreciation and she wanted to bring that culture to the U S right. Which I can appreciate. Now I'm going to tell you a little story because this will just crack you up because Gwen Stefani is right. She's so like eclectic and like funky and her style has like changed through the years. Like she is like that girl. She's going to go there. Like you guys think I'm like, this is like the craziest I'll go is my butterfly shirt that I'm wearing right now. And by the way, if you're watching this right now and not listening, you, my friend have the advantage of seeing my straight up farmer's tan that won't die. It's been here for a week. So I don't know what I was thinking the first time I wore a tank top, like the century. And so my farmer's tan is like shining bright, like a star. Um, speaking of farmer's tan, this is what I was going to tell you. It cracks me up because speaking of Gwen's dad and her upbringing, I went to the voice. I covered it, um, on the big like studio lot at NBC. Right. And it was like embargo, like you couldn't talk about it. It was like an early shooting. And it was like, right. When she and, uh, Blake Shelton were like popping in the sheets and no one really knew it was like, I think it was her first season on actually. That's why it was a big deal. So everyone was like ready to cut that sexual tension with a steak knife. And her parents sat right next to me in the crowd. And I cracked up. I told my mom about it right away. Cause you would never expect they literally looked and I'm not saying this in a mean way, but they looked like hillbilly Joe and Jane. Like they literally looked like they came straight from the farm, right? Milking the cows to come and watch the voice, like in such a cute endearing way. And I was like, they made Gwen Stefani. Like they were in like, they kind of had like the mom had mom jeans and like those like almost like, I don't want to say Crocs, but like a deviation of Crocs and the dad, same thing. Like, like may or may not have had some sort of iteration of a farmer's hat, trucker hat with a plaid shirt. Like it just cracked me up because I was like that semen and egg created the Gwen Stefani, right. Who would go on with like 
rocking it with her braces, her metal chains, like the whole thing. So, hey, you never know. And stars, don't forget your upbringing because we remember and we see it, you know, sitting next to them third row in at The Voice. Okay. This was like me with my popcorn. I didn't even give a shit about it. I was like, oh, Adam Levine, that's nice. But let me take in the glory of these like middle America, maybe parents like could die. Okay. So back to Gwen and her appreciation for Japanese culture. Okay. She talks about in this interview, right? Cause you know, they were probably trying to like get something out of her that would like stir the, the mob up. And she said, I had this idea when I traveled everywhere with these four Japanese girls, they were her dancers. They were on red carpets with her. Like they were the squad before squad was even on your radar. And she said, I had this idea that I would have a posse of girls. Cause I never got to hang out with girls. Right. Again, icon, no doubt. Um, they would be Japanese Harajuku girls because those are the girls I love. She said, those are my homies. That would be my dream come true. If I could go there, live there, hang out with them, right? So this to me is somebody who, like I said, is she in the wrong for having that sometimes like, I'm sure you guys relate, like there's a culture or a place and it just clicks. It just clicks. And I don't think that she's a bad person for wanting to bring that here, to celebrate it, to have her own inspirations by it, you know, whatever you want to call it. For whatever reason, I felt this way drawn to Los Angeles, California, even when I was a kid. I must have hated myself because of all the places, LA, the most toxic, psycho, superficial, but you know what? You got to love it. But I understand that feeling of like, being drawn to a place. Yes. I'm like still uh, coping, but obviously you're going to have critics who are saying, like I said, this white girl's taking advantage. Like she doesn't really understand the culture. It's just like surface level, that whole thing. Right. And it kind of reminded me because these girls who traveled with her and are in like the holla back of uh, girl video, you know, this shit is bananas. Yeah. That, Oh, that little dance movie like that. They look like they're having a great ass time. They look like they're having a great ass time. You know what this reminded me of? Do you guys remember in my Ghost of Cancel's Past episode when I showed you the clip of me interviewing uh, the Black actor, Eamon Joseph, and we're talking about Black eyes and shrinkage and penis size, right? And he's having like a great old time. He's like, we don't have shrinkage. Our dicks just elongate and unravel to the end of time, right? We're having a really fun time. And I'm, I said, now I feel like people, even though he's like consensual, he's, he's in with it. He's having a good time. They would almost try to dictate like, no, he can't, he shouldn't be okay with that. Like, that's not okay. Right. I almost feel like that applies to the situation. Like, I don't know what these women, like I'm not in their heads. I can't say, but I can also say looking at it from the outside in, it's like that same kind of idea. Like to me, it looks like they're having a ball. They're dancing their asses off. Like they're having a great old time. So to them, was it inappropriate? Was it appropriation? Now someone could also argue, right? Well, maybe it's all that they were offered in Hollywood in show business as dancer, you know, as dancers, as Asian women at the time, right? Like the little angel and devil, But again, like to me, it's like, I feel like they're having a great old time and like are celebrating the fact that like their culture in some way, shape or form is being brought to the mainstream stratosphere. You know what I'm saying? It's also worth noting 
I feel like people like don't mention this a lot that Pharrell Williams co-wrote Holla Back Girl and he's in the video. It got me thinking, it's like, okay, but like, he's a black guy. Is he appropriating it too? Because like he consented to like the creative direction of the song. He's in the video. Like, so it's Pharrell appropriating. This is where it gets like slippery. I feel like where we start to split hairs. Okay. And the idea, the idea that I really like we're going to get into today is that has to do with all this is appropriation versus appreciation appropriation versus appreciation and when i say splitting hairs this is what i mean it's because it feels like what's happening now it's like they are splitting the most tiniest of split ends you have ever seen you have ever seen and there's something to me about whether it be we're gonna get to food is my next topic like thank god it's the only thing that I care about in this life. But when it comes to music and art and Gwen Stefani and Pharrell or whoever it is, right? I think there's value in what she's saying. Like we share from one another, we're inspired, right? It's always evolving and it's changing and it's fun and it's sexy, right? And think about it. When I said before, it's not just white people who are accused of appropriation. Do you guys remember when Nicki Minaj came out with Chun-Li? And she was accused of appropriating Asian culture, right? Not only the song and the lyrics, but like her whole aesthetic when she would perform it in the music video. Also, Beyonce and Coldplay with their video that was appropriating, people said, Indian culture, right? Where's the line? Because I also feel like it's almost, not to be negative Nancy, but I almost feel like you can't win because if you do like pay, you know, homage and, do something like these artists that I said, it's like you're appropriating, right? But then if you don't uh, nod to it at all, then there's you're not giving any appreciation. So it's like, how do we win or do we just fuck ourselves? No, okay. I do have a solution. Don't worry. Negative Nancy is gonna take a nap, okay? Because we're gonna we're gonna be on the rebound, just like you and your ex. Once COVID is like actually complete and the nails on the coffin, okay. So believe it or not, people appropriation has become a thing in food, blogging, chef, restaurateur culture. Okay. For anyone who knows me, like this is my pride and joy. I'm screaming, I'm singing, I'm sweating because in my spare time, all I do is watch food network. Okay. It speaks to my soul. I, which I'm going to talk about this as well. I come from an Italian family. And like, if you hear me, you hear me. Like we don't, uh, what is it? We don't eat to live. We live to eat. It is the only reason for existence. If you ask me sex or food, I would say food F right off. And that's that on that. Okay. So do you get my appreciation for food now? Okay, good. So food bloggers. All right. So get a load of this. Okay. And this is what I mean when it comes to appreciation versus appropriation and where the line is, because apparently the line is a cross between a piece of dental floss and some fairy dust that the tooth fairy brought your five-year-old this week. Okay. It's just in the abyss. It's, it's not even a concrete thing. Nobody knows people are just making rules up as they go. Okay. So get a load of this in December, there was a woman you guys may or may not have heard of her, uh, called Stephanie Izard. I don't know if that's how you pronounce her name, but roll with it. She was a top chef winner. She posted a, a recipe. So a, there's a Korean rice dish called, uh, bibimbap. I think that's how you pronounce it. 
So she posted a photo of this dish and called it Bibimbap and people were coming out to annihilate this girl and her rice dish. Okay. Because apparently that wasn't traditional Bibimbap. It was really what she came to say later, a cross between that. It was a little fusion of that and a Japanese beef bowl called Gyudon. They're like, who is this white girl trying to pronounce these things? Make it stop. Okay, so here's the thing. So she posted this, got a ton of flack. People were like, how dare you? This is not Bibimbap. It's a disservice to us. This is embarrassing. Like, how dare you not like, you know, call it this and it's something else and all of these. Okay. And here's, here's the thing. I feel like food, this is coming from a food network connoisseur. People are often inspired. They'll often say it's like a fusion of this, or I'm inspired by this. And they just like, that's what food is like art, right? Like the Nikki's and the Gwen's it's creating, right? It's getting inspired. So to put such a, like, to put such harsh like rules on this, I don't think it's going to help us. So here's an example. Okay. So part of the flack that she got was by Korean chef Juan Kim. And he wrote on the Instagram and said, and I'm going to put up a, a picture of her talk because it was a video. And then it's a screenshot of the bowl. He says, what's so good about this? The gross misinterpretation of a beloved Korean dish, at least call it a remix or something else, because that's exactly what it is. Okay. So here's where I can like acknowledge like a little harsh, maybe. Right. But here's where I can acknowledge. I'm about to read you. He wrote a lengthy essay on Facebook following this, talking about the whole incident. Right. And I can empathize and I can totally acknowledge where he's coming from because he says like, As a Korean immigrant, you know, we have roots tied to this dish and these foods like life was tough for us. And this is sort of like a resemblance like that, that, you know, iconic dish of ours is sort of like encapsulates that not to mention, like he talks about, you know, when I was growing up in school, I would get picked on like it wasn't the cool thing to bring in these Korean dishes. And now suddenly this white girl's like capitalizing on it and like passing it off and, you know, making it cool. I could see where he's like, yeah, bitch, that's annoying. Like we did it first. And not only did we do it first, but we were made fun of for it. So I could totally acknowledge how he would be annoyed by that. Here's what he wrote. To take a national, such a national dish and have it treated and mislabeled without so much as a single thought marginalizes a whole group of immigrants and everything we ever went through to get our cuisine recognized and appreciated, right? So what ends up happening? I'll let you guess. Guess who? She ends up, what do you know, right? changing the whole caption, putting in bold letters and stars saying update. You know, I want to make sure my language is clear. I hear you guys. I want to clarify. And she says, this is not intended to be authentic. This is my interpretation of these two dishes, right? Either way, all you have to know is she ended up like doing the whole, like, I don't know if it was an apology per se, but like the whole correction. And here's how I feel. It's like, I understand for this man and other people like him in his shoes, like Korean immigrants. Like I said, I I understand how that could be frustrating and annoying, but at the same time, like is going after someone like this, who's trying, who's inspired by your heritage, you're trying to celebrate it in some capacity, like kind of like going after and attacking them like this. Right. And like shutting them up. Is that helping? Like, is it worth it? 
is it worth it? Because I, I kind of wonder, is it to the point, same thing with Gwen Stefani. It's like, do we want to get to the point where it's like, we can't share it's mine. Like I'm the one who's supposed to do it. Do you know what I mean? And a lot of people said too, like, this is where it gets into the divide. I would see comments that were like, oh, of course, like white people defending the white girl. And that stuff kind of bothers me because it's like that all just like perpetuates the divide even more. And at the end of the day, like it's fun to share and to celebrate each other's cultures and not be so territorial about it. Because I don't think, I I don't think that it's going to help. I don't think that it's going to help. Here's another example of why. Okay. If I left you on a little cliffhanger of where I'm going with this. So this happened more recently um, in March to a woman, a blogger who does the blog Half Baked Harvest. Her name is Tegan Gerard. Um, So she kind of in the same vein, she posted what she called a quick uh, noodle recipe that she incorrectly, people said, labeled as uh, foo, which is a Vietnamese soup. Yeah. I'm like reading this, like a story, like look at all my notes. I really can't. What is good to the Bill Mars and the Stephen Colbert's who have a little teleprompter and a writing team. Yeah. Your girl's going rogue. How you like that? I'm coming for your ass. Okay. So page two of my notes. So this woman, like I said, Tegan Gerard posts this noodle soup. She calls foo. Okay. So similar to the last story, she gets flack from a Vietnamese American blogger named Suzanne Nguyen, who says, what upset me most was that she passed it off as foo. The only thing that made it even close to foo was the fat, and this is spelled P-H-O, was that it was noodles in a broth. And then she says, I understand that food evolves, but when you're riffing on a dish in terms of ingredients, that doesn't make sense. So she's acknowledging It's like, they want it both ways, people. They want like, this is again, it's like the can't, you can't win, right? Acknowledging it, it evolves and you can be inspired by it, but this isn't an example of that. And it's like, well, why not? Like, this is where the line gets blurry. It's like, who's to say, right? So lo and behold, the same woman uh, changed the name of the dish uh, and actually issued a long apology, but it wasn't enough specifically because of the backdrops of what's going on right now. Um, with attacks we're seeing against Asians, right? And people said, like, if you appreciate our food and our culture, why don't you, this is one comment I saw, why don't you speak out on the attacks that have been happening to Asian elders this week? And a lot of other people too said, like, same thing goes with the bibimbap. If you are going to, you know, use our food and our culture, like number one, like this person, you know, speak about, you know, all the attacks that have been happening or another one I saw was like, you know, get more in depth about the history. Right. And I feel like, how do I say this? I kind of feel like it's a lot to ask of people. I'm sure their heart is in the right place, right? They're not behind the scenes being like F the history or who cares about these attacks, but how much are we going to expect from people, especially when it comes to like the history, right? I don't think that you need to have a full oral dissertation history of a single dish in order to appreciate, in order to appreciate it. I'm going to get to that in a second. So it's like, how much are we expecting from people? I mean, could these bloggers, given that they're taking inspiration from Asian cuisines and posting it, posting it in the backdrop of what's going on, could they give nod to what's going on? 
sure, that would be a nice touch. But I just feel like it's a lot to expect from people to sort of add all these layers, you know, talk about the talk about current events, what's going on, talk about the history of the dish, talk about this. It's like, not only can you not win because omitting it is bad, you're not even acknowledging it, but then using it is bad because you're appropriating or not doing it the right way. And it just creates this culture where it's like, people are going to feel like they don't want to go near it, period. And again, I'm not making like an excuse for white people, um, even though, like I said, it doesn't just apply to them, but it's going to make people be like, you know what? I don't even like want to go near it because I don't want to do it the wrong way or this way or that way and take on all this responsibility. When at the end of the day, I love how this food tastes. It's really fun for me. I love to fuse it with other things and make new creations. Should you have to take all of that other, all of that other stuff on when the reality is, which I'm going to get to these histories and the complex, even like current events are tied to so many different cultures. So how can you always get it right? Do we want to encourage people to include it and try it out and play with it and experiment or just be like, I'm scared. I don't want to mess it up. So I'm not even going to go near it and then omit it all together. Someone, a critic of this, this, the latter girl said, Foo is the ultimate love language in Vietnamese culture. It's the ultimate comfort food and how we say, I love you. Now this like struck me because it's like, doesn't it again seem contradictory to you? It's like the girl saying, I understand that, you know, you can be inspired by things and food evolves, but like, this isn't that right. I feel like that about this. It's like, what a contradiction. Like this is a dish of love. And this girl's receiving like the exact opposite of that. Now, this is where I want to talk about how we look at things, how we look at these examples of appropriation. Cause I feel like I talked about the divide, right. in the two kind of like camps of the stances that you can fall in. But I also feel like there's different views, like when it comes to food, whatever it may be one, this is a quote from a cr- critic saying she benefits from these altered dish- dishes while our, our culture is erased which again, I could acknowledge and understand how someone would feel that way, though I don't agree, especially speaking from my own heritage, which I'm going to get to, um, versus, right, being excited, being excited that people are trying it. So on one hand, being like, well, gee, you're capitalizing off of it and I'm being put in a dumpster. And then the other side, which is like, no, you know what? Give her a break. Like, good for her for making it mainstream. Here's a comment about that on the uh, uh, on her post saying as someone uh, who was born in Vietnam, grew up in the US, she said, I'm glad she uses the word. It means foo is gaining recognition and popularity, right? So I can like, I can relate to that. These are like the two, like the fork in the road, right? Of how you could go. And I relate, like I said, with the latter. Now, some of you who may be reg, regs, regular listeners, um, know some of this already, but you know, number one, food is really important to me and my family. So you guys know my mom immigrated here from Italy when she was young, right? So hundred percent Italian. And then my dad's parents, uh, my great grandparents all immigrated from Europe. Uh, that side of me is Jewish, right? So I'm Jewish and I'm Italian. So I can relate of course, to food being everything and recipes that are passed down and passed down and passed down, you know, on my Italian side, whether it be, you know, gnocchi, raviolis, it goes on and on and on. My Jewish side, latkes, right? Matzo ball soup, again, goes on and on. And I think it's important to remember that 
even though like, especially in terms of like, say these Asian dishes, right? Like recognizing what's going on right now, recognizing like the history of these dishes, et cetera. Let's not forget that I think we tend to, because it, it may not be the same as it once was, but so many groups, I feel like every group of immigrant was completely discriminated against, hated against, marginalized when they first came here too, right? It may not be the same now. I mean, look at Italians. You, we mean, cause like now it's like the cool thing, right? It wasn't always like this. I mean, don't forget, there was a point in history when Italians were lynched, when they were uh, seen, like they were seen in mainstream uh, media as being lazy, as being ignorant, as being criminals, right? The KKK would be anti-immigrant when Italians started coming over. Same thing with Jews. Like the KKK grew inside uh, in size because they were anti-immigrant. Same thing, right? For Irish Catholics, Mexicans, Italians, like I said, because of their Catholic uh, religion, right? They're coming into Protestant America. So they're marginalized and discriminated against for that. Um, Jews, I mean, you know, that goes without saying, but even like, in World War II, like they were often blamed, right? Same thing as all this, like assaulted, attacked, like rise in KKK numbers. I even read that at one point, the number of KKK members grew larger than the amount of Jews that were actually in America. Um, and with, like I said, with World War I, the Great Depression, they Jews were often seen as like the scapegoats or the reason for things happening, right? So let's not forget that this goes back to so many cultures, even though it may not stand as much now, like we're seeing, for instance, horribly against Asians and things like that. Right. But I think that a big reason for this is because of the integration. And I'm not saying that Americans like whitewash Italians. That's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying like the integration of our culture, not saying like, this is mine and you can't use it. So when I try to relate, and again, I know it's not the same. I know people are going to be like, here we go. This white girl trying to relate to this Korean man. Like, that's not what I'm saying. But like, I know for me, I would like my, my Nani, love her. May she rest in peace. Fresh off the boat from Italy. I'm talking like always screaming in Italian, like the real deal, right? What you see in the movies constant. Like if you were not eating 24 seven, you were anorexic and had to go to a hospital. Like, I'm not kidding. Okay. So it is like that in my blood and passed down and what I grew up with. Now, if I saw somebody trying to make gnocchi, right. And totally messing it up. Now, gnocchi are like the little potato dumplings that, um, you can even either make them like with, uh, ricotta or potato. Like that is my most favorite dish, right? If someone like who wasn't Italian tried to make them and made them into like a star shape and made them in the totally wrong way and totally butchered them, I wouldn't be all up in arms being like, number one, I need to see a manuscript of the history of gnocchi and what it meant to the Italian people, how it still reflects today's like, no, I would probably laugh being like, good for you for trying, but I would also be psyched. I'd be like, yeah, yeah, you should want to emulate and try our food because it is the effing best. So enjoy, like good for you for trying it. I wouldn't want them to be so afraid of trying gnocchi and messing up the history and not giving it the right ode or homage that they just don't even try it and like think about it in their sleep. Like I would want them to try it and to experiment, you know, and that's my point. And that's what 
what I see happening here uh, with all these examples. And I know for me, my favorite memories of food is actually the act, right? Getting around the table, talking, the music playing, enjoying eating it, right? Not, I don't need a textbook on the history of ravioli. Hell, I, I don't even know. I don't know. I don't even know. Sure, it's like fun to learn about it and know about it while you're enjoying it, but I don't need that to enjoy it. Because even think about, like I said, Food Network is my only hobby. And I watch so many chefs who will say, like, kind of like the Gwen Stefani thing. Like, I, and they're, these are people from all different cultures, not just white people, but they'll be like, I went to Italy and was just obsessed with the food. And now I have six Italian restaurants fused with like Mexican because I went to Mexico and it just spoke to me and I loved it or whatever it is. Like, it's so cool to see them like, own and really like learn about a culture and like bring it into their craft right and create new things like aren't we always evolving isn't that it getting excited isn't that what we want you know and i'm gonna bring this i'm gonna pintail this right with my fave you guys know who know bobby flay who i know like my gosh don't even get me started on that ginger ass. Like, I don't know why, but I'm obsessed. It's like, he's kind of cocky. He has like the New York attitude. He's a beast in the kitchen. Like I would throw it down. That's all I have to say. But even like Bobby Flay, right. Who always jokes about how like white Irish American he is. Like he has restaurants that have like this fusion, that fusion. Um, you know, he's really always inspired by like Southwest stuff. And that's like what I'm saying. It's like, who knows what you could create? The, the limits could be like, could have no bounds if we just kind of like, like what Gwen Stefani said, be free and let people go for it. Because you know what? I don't really see the alternative. So this brings me to my last point about the housewives. Dun, 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 dun. The housewives and appropriation. This is when I was like, um, our society has gone there because when they're talking about race in a hardcore way, like they're throwing tables over like race relations and not like, I don't know who's, who looked at whose diamond wrong that week. I was like, this is how we know, like we are at a place in our culture when this is, has hit the airwaves of the real housewives of Beverly Hills. So this example doesn't necessarily have to do with appropriation, but it has to do with race, how we talk about it, how it's going on in our culture, right? And like the whole conversation at large. Um, and my overall point that like, if you punish people constantly for trying, it's just gonna hurt us. It's not gonna get us anywhere. And it's not gonna make people wanna learn or wanna explore other people's heritages, right? So to give you a quick recap, guys, I promise you won't be snoring. Um, here's the sitch. Okay. So we have Sutton, who's a white lady and Crystal, who's the first Chinese lady, um, real housewives of Beverly Hills. Now, Crystal is married to a white guy who is mega rich, like directed all these Disney movies, like the Lion King, etc. So they're in the kitchen having a sort of little tiff. Um, about race. They start talking about like stereotypes and things like that. And Crystal's like, as an Asian woman, like sometimes when people like say a joke or a stereotype, like it just hits you on such a deep level that you're literally seeing red. Like you see nothing else. Right. And I, I totally can acknowledge that. I totally, I could see where she's coming from. So Sutton, the white lady is like, I don't want to get into this. I don't want to talk about this. Like that. I just, I don't want to go here. I don't want to go here. And I feel like it's because 
of this inevitable outcome, right? Like I just said, we don't even want to talk about it because we know it's going to blow up into something that we don't want. Someone's going to end up apologizing. Someone's going to be looking ignorant or bad or racist or a certain type of way. So I can see why she's like, I don't even want to go here. I don't even want to go here. And she ultimately ends up saying like, as a white woman from the South, I get stereotyped all the time as a redneck, as this, that, I just don't want to like lead with that. Right. And like bring it out, which like, I, I can't blame at all. So Crystal, the Chinese woman says to her, like, on the defense, right? And this is the thing is like, I feel like everyone is always ready to like, always ready lately to pick a fight. Everyone wants to pick a fight. So she says to Sa'ino, are you that girl? Are you that girl who doesn't see color, right? Like sort of like on the defense. Now, again, I can acknowledge why, but like, is this the way? So this episode just aired last week. And what do you know? Sutton in real life issues an apology, says she needs to do better, says she needs to learn, et cetera. So here's the, what this was on the heels of, okay, was an interaction between Kyle Richards, who's an OG housewife, she's white, and Garcelle Bouveau, who's the first black uh, woman on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. She's an actress, and I've met both of them, and they're both one of my faves of all the housewives. They're fantastic. Uh, Garcelle was in, uh, she's an actress, she was in like Coming to America, stuff like that. So what happened with these two, same sort of thing, is Kyle had a little fundraiser charity thing. And I guess Garcelle auctioned something or put a bid in. And so they ha- they're they sitting down in front of everyone on national TV. And Kyle calls out Garcelle for never paying her for the fundraiser for the auction, saying, you never paid me. So it turns into this whole thing because Garcelle confronts her and says, are you just saying this because I'm a black woman, essentially? Would you say this if it was a white castmate? And Kyle sort of like taken back because in her mind, she and she even says, she's like, I didn't even think of it like that. I would say it if it were anybody. And keep in mind, like Kyle is pretty savage. This is the same woman who called her out her own sister for being an alcoholic on national TV in season one. So I've been like, I personally feel like she would call it out no matter if they were blue, green, pink, purple. I don't think that it would matter. And she even says that she's like, that isn't even something I was thinking of. So Garcelle ends up explaining that she was hit a certain way because black people have a stereotype of being cheap and not tipping. Right. Which Kyle's like, and I even was enlightened watching it. I was like, I didn't even know that. So Kyle's like, I, I didn't. I didn't even know that. Like I said, I wouldn't call it out no matter who it was. I didn't even know that was a thing. And that's where I kind of feel like it's tough because I don't think that Kyle was specifically doing something to hurt someone or saying something like racially motivated or insensitive or hurtful. And it's almost like, if anything, it's like, well, we came to find out Garcelle didn't pay, but it's not, it wasn't on purpose. It was a whole mix up thing. Right. So she didn't. Um, She ended up paying later, but still, it's kind of like, to me, it's like, well, I don't think Kyle was making it about the stereotype. I think Garcelle was making it about the stereotype. And I can also understand why, right? That's a a, a microaggression, whatever you want to call it, like something that she had to live with. So I get that. And I can appreciate that. Unlike the former conversation, this at least was like civil and had a little bit of like back and forth where Kyle was like, oh, okay. It wasn't racial. I would never. And keep in mind, like Kyle's husband is a Mexican. So I don't think, again, I think she would have a little bit of wherewithal to not like personally attack this girl because of her race. Right. But at the same token, she's like, oh, I didn't know that. Okay. So now I know. 
So at least it was like a little bit of an open dialogue, right? Versus like shutting the person out, like in the form of being like, oh, are you that girl? Are you that girl who doesn't see color? Right. And the twist is uh, Crystal even said in an interview recent last week following this saying um, something to the effect, oh, she said, we have to move the needle. The more conversations there are, the more understanding. But to me, like, it doesn't feel like a conversation in Garcelle and Kyle's uh, scenario. Yes. It was a little bit, here's where I'm coming from. Here's where I'm coming from. Oh, okay. I didn't even know that, but you know, that idea, but with Crystal and Sutton, I didn't feel like that at all. I felt like it was like one person getting attacked and having to shut up. And is this what they want? And I'm not trying to like police any of these women's feelings, but again, as an outsider, it just feels like, yes, we have to be like cognizant. I think that there's a difference between like outwardly blatantly, like again, trying to be hateful and mean to somebody because of their race, because of their religion, whatever it may be. And something like the Garcelle example where Kyle's like, I didn't even know that was a stereotype, you know, because that's going to be tough. We're always going to be worried about what we're saying. Is this going to offend somebody? Is that going to offend this person? Do you know what I mean? Take me. Okay. The, the, what is it? The stereotype that Jews are cheap. Someone may joke about me being cheap or whatever. Right. I'm sure it would hit a certain way, but I can't expect them. I feel like I can't, you know, they can be aware, but I can't expect them in their head to be like, censor themselves and be like, think it would hit a certain way. Do you know what I'm saying? And be like, well, gee, you should know because I actually am Jewish. And we're always said that we're cheap and like, I feel like we have to have a little bit more understanding on both ends. So I thought that was really interesting. And it sort of feeds into this whole idea, right? Of like the two perspectives and how you look at it, how you look at whether it be appropriation, how we talk about race, this or that, you know, the idea of it being like, nope, you can't, or it has to be this way and having a little bit more understanding and being like, well, no, it doesn't have to be so rigid. It can be open and it can be in flux. So here is how I want to end this. It's like, do we want these dialogues or not? Do we want to always take ownership and be like, it's mine. You can't do it unless it's perfect. And you die, you dot your I's and you cross your T's, right? Or are we going to have a little bit more understanding And I wanted to share with you this really, really powerful comment because in my USA Today op-ed, I talked about how everything I went through with Chrissy Teigen, right? I still don't want her canceled. I don't believe in cancel culture. I don't think it gets anyone anywhere. I think it just causes this very thing I described today, which is like people petrified of doing the wrong thing. And kind of what Gwen Stefani said, like causing more of a rift and more of a divide. And instead we need to bring people in bring them in, let them mess up, let them learn, like let's grow and do it together. Okay. And this woman, I thought this was powerful. So she's not only an indigenous woman, but she was an assault survivor. And she said to me, I crave hard conversations that lead to understanding and change, not for me, but for all people. You'd think a global pandemic would inspire humanity, but it caused divisiveness at a global level. And I just thought that was really powerful coming from her because I'm like, this is somebody who should be in theory, like the most like unforgiving uptight about it. And she's like, no, I want that. Let's, this is going to make it better. This is going to make it better. So here I'm going to leave you with one quote from Gwen Stefani that touched my little heart that I like. She said, 
speaking to her specific thing with Japanese culture, right? She said, that's what Japanese culture and American culture have done. We do something American. They take it and flip it and make it so Japanese and so cool. And we take it back and go, whoa, that's so cool. That's so beautiful. How our cultures come together. So I want you guys to leave thinking about that. You know, are you, and there's nothing wrong with being prideful of your heritage. I, I am relate. I am that way, but are you going to hold on to it so tight so that nobody can have a stab at it or, or try it or mess it up? Are you going to invite them to do it, say the wrong thing, make the wrong recipe, whatever it may be? Because ultimately that's going to lead to a richer, truly more diverse and fun and exciting and sexy place to be, right? Because we're all different and it's worth celebrating, not shutting each other out. And before we go, this is one little thing for the road. I went to my IG story because I want to celebrate all of you and all of your culture. So I asked. What's some of your favorite dishes from your cultures were? So I'm going to share some before I leave you today. So this is, let's see. So here are some of your faves. Uh, we have poutine, uh, a note saying the best is from Quebec. For Italian, we have lasagna, gnocchi, pizza. Yes, absolutely. Let's see. This is an, a Spanish-inspired Filipino dish. I think you pronounce it salpicao. It's, I think it's like a beef dish. Okay. And this is a Polish stuffed cabbage. It's called Golumkai, I think. I'm so sorry if I butchered this. Okay. It, it, it's not a cute look. Okay. And then lastly, Americans, you gotta love it. We got steak. We got fried chicken. Okay. So with that being said, be more open, stay hungry, stay hungry for the gnocchi and the pizza, stay hungry for all the different cultures coming to life. And with that said, I'll be waiting in my bed, waiting for you to feed me pizza. And I'll love every minute of it. And I don't even care how you make it. How's that? See you guys next time.